0: morning, if you want to open up to Revelation 5, while you're turning there, I'm going to just do a short review of just kind of the large overview, and then we'll read Revelation 5, and Lord willing, wrap wrap up Revelation 5 this week. Okay, so we're going through the book of Revelation, it's taking us a while, so I thought it would be good to go back and review some of the main things keep our focus. Revelation was written in the first century to Christians under the rule of Rome. And particularly the seven churches that are mentioned here are in modern day Turkey. And John was on the Isle of Patmos right here. He had been exiled, which was a common practice in the Roman Empire for uh people that they didn't want in the empire uh, and so they would send them to an island and he was there and he wrote this letter and they s- sent it uh, to these churches and we looked at those uh, those letters there specifically to the churches from Christ but want to just remind you of some of the different views, and what's the focus. Um, when you hear the word revelation, a lot of us think of the beast and some of these strange passages and the end of the world and the apocalypse. And that's all true. That's all part of the book of Revelation. But we talked about how the title of the book comes from the first line, and it's just the revealing of Jesus. And if I had said, open up to the revealing of Jesus, chapter 5, you might get a different feeling and a different even feeling of focus on what the book of revelation is and in our culture american evangelicalism a lot of times we focus on some of these other things some of the uh, different viewpoints whether that's how you read the book of revelation is it more symbolic is it more historical the other big thing that comes up a lot is the millennium and that comes up later in one chapter of the book and There are different views, and we even name the views based on some of these secondary issues. But I want you to remember as we go through this, what's the main purpose of the book of Revelation? Is it to figure out when the millennium is and to have the right position on that? Actually, no, it's not. And sometimes, many times, these secondary things become the main things. It's the revealing of Jesus. The book of Revelation is to show us Christ. It's a revelation from Christ, but it's a revealing of Christ. And if we get away from that, what can happen is each chapter, what we're doing is we're looking for clues about the millennium or clues about something else and missing the big picture, the important things that actually everyone agrees on. The big things, the main things in the book of Revelation are right here in the middle that whether you're post millennial, premillennial, amillennial, or you don't know, we can all agree on that Jesus has authority, that he's in control, that God is in control, not ultimately the powers of evil or Rome that we need to trust, we need to have faith in Christ. Whether you think there's going to be a literal dragon or that's symbolic or you think the millennium's going to have a rapture or not, no matter what, you need to have faith in Jesus. Where's forgiveness found? It's found in Christ, just like Andy was sharing on. We should obey Christ. Our response to His forgiveness is obedience. Where's our endurance found? It's found in Christ. Who's going to help us through these trials and difficulties? It's Jesus. Who should we glorify? Who should we worship and praise? Christ. And ultimately, back to kind of the authority of Jesus, there's ultimate victory over evil, and that's found in Christ, and that is going to be accomplished. And so we want to remember these are the main things and keep them center. Not that these things don't matter, but they're not the main things. And so I just want to remind you of these things and kind of our larger interpretive framework that we're going through um, in Revelation because it's important and it's encouraging. Think about it the reverse. What if I told you uh, we've got, I've got the millennium figured out and we're going to spend the next year going over what it's going to be like. It's just not going to affect your daily life. <laughs> that would not be good. <laughs> that would not be an encouragement. And yet these things right here, the central things, These are things that we can take with us every day, wherever we are, and those are the important things. So I just want to remind you of that, and now let's jump into Revelation 5 here, and let's read it together. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a the kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard the sound. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Let's pray together one more time before we start. Father, just, we need you every day. We need you especially to have understanding of your word. I pray it would be clear and helpful and affect our daily life. We look to you for help and we trust and believe that you're going to help us by your spirit because of your word and your promise. I pray you'd glorify your son and help us too. Love you more um, in light of your word. Amen. Okay, we're going to look at Revelation 5. Last time we looked at one specific aspect the scroll that was open, and what was that, and how does that apply to us? Today we're going to look at a basic concept that really underlies this whole section this slain lamb. What does it mean that we're ransomed people? What does it mean that this lamb that was slain, that he's, the, he's not only slain, but he's the conqueror? How does this, how do we understand this? And like I've shared before that one uh, commentator believes that the book with the most references to the Old Testament is the book of Revelation. And as we go through the chapters, there's times where we just don't have time to look back at similar passages in the Old Testament. But this particular passage is so important, and this idea of the lamb is so important, I feel like it would be good to take a week to just look at, what is this referring to? What's the Old Testament background here? And really, what is sin? That we really need a biblical, a true view of what sin is to really understand the whole Bible. But the book of Revelation and this slain lamb specifically. And so we're going to look at this slain lamb, And think about sin. What We're learning about sin. Just the fact that Jesus had to come and die. What does that mean? What is it teaching us about sin? And so there's a lot of Old Testament references here. And I'm going to try and do it in a way that's not not as dry. (laughs) More interesting as best as I can. But we want to understand this big concept that's so important for our lives. Sin. What is God's view of sin? And why did the lamb have to be slain at all? just want you to notice a few things here before we jump into some of the Old Testament context that just seem significant here in verse 5. 5 and 6 really. It says it talks about how they're There's people, then there's the slain lamb, and then there's the throne. And it's really understanding that visual, spatial picture is important. What's between us and God? There's a slain lamb there between us and God. Why does that need to be there? Why does Jesus need to be in between, though he is God, he's standing between the throne of God and us, The slain lamb? And then it really answers the question in verse 9. By your blood you ransomed a people for God. That we're a ransomed people. We're a people that a price was paid so that we could be purchased for God. Be redeemed. And so, what I want to do is look at several passages from the Old Testament about this lamb. And this isn't coming out of nowhere, that there's lots of lambs that were slain for sin in the Old Testament. To try and do that, I want you to imagine with me that you are a Jewish child. Okay? And I'm going to try and give all the information but do it in kind of a narrative form. So, And hopefully you can maybe feel feel the weight of what the Bible is saying about sin through this. Okay? So imagine with me, you grew up in ancient Israel and that you went to school and you learned the Torah and you memorized big portions of it and your parents talked to you about it when you got up and when you sat down and you went to these festivals in Jerusalem year after year and you're a child. So you knew, you know, this idea of a lamb being slain is not foreign to you. It's very common. That all throughout Leviticus, there's a lot of festivals. There's a lot of things that happened where lambs would be slain or or rams. And, you know, one, a big one, uh, one of the biggest days of the year was the Day of Atonement. And you would be familiar with this passage in in Leviticus 16 where it talks about God ransoming an entire people. Uh, I'll read to you from Leviticus 16 here. You, You would... Have heard this year after year after year, this would be familiar to you. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place, inside the veil, before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die, for I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of a live goat, and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel, and all their transgressions, and all their sins, and he will put them on the head of the goat. And send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. And the goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. So here's an an example of the Day of Atonement. They actually had two rams. I just read a portion there. One was killed. One was sent free. And as a child, you know, you knew that each year you go up and do this. You knew that sin over the whole people of Israel had to be atoned, that Sin separates people from God. That that even Aaron, even the high priest, could not go into the Holy of Holies except once a year. And even then, he had to be covered by the blood. And so you knew this. You're familiar with this. And I want you to notice a couple things about this. That this is a vivid picture of what sin is like. That God could have done this differently. That we actually know from Romans that the, the blood of these goats and rams and lambs didn't actually cover anyone's sins. That they were all looking forward to Christ, but they were there to teach us. And they were there to teach until the real lamb was slain. That God could have done it differently, but he did it in such a way that we might really understand sin. Really understand God's character, who he is. Okay, so you, this is all background to you. But now imagine again your child in ancient Israel. And you sinned. I'm not sure exactly what you did. Maybe you lied to your parents. Maybe you stole something. Maybe you hurt someone else. You got angry and you hurt someone. And you're getting older. And your parents come to you and they sit you down and they say, we know what you did. And is this serious? Yes, it's serious. We're actually going to have to go up to Jerusalem. Well, why are we going to have to do that, you ask your parents? Well, remember what we learned? Remember what you learned? Maybe potentially you read this last week in synagogue. Remember, when, when someone realizes their guilt, this is Leviticus 5, when he realizes his guilt in any of these sins and confesses the sins he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as compensation for his sin that he has committed a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin. So you might say to your parents, well, I've never had to do this before. Well, you're getting old enough to where you need to do this now. But don't they sacrifice a, a ram on the Day of Atonement? Yes, they do for the whole flock of Israel. But you need to go and sacrifice for your sin. Because what you did, you knew it was wrong, didn't you? Yes. Well, Let's go out to the field and we're going to pick out a goat. We're going to pick out a lamb. And you go out and you f- You look. And you have to pick out a lamb. Maybe you ask your parents while you're out there, well, why do we have to go to Jerusalem? That's the temple. That's the place of the temple. The symbol of God's presence. Who did you sin against when you hurt that person? Or you lied or you stole? Well, I sinned against so-and-so. And who else? God. So we need to go. Your sin is before God and against God. Remember the Holy of Holies? It says, He made the veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen with cherubim skillfully worked into it. You see any the connection there between Revelation? The blood of the Lamb that is sprinkled before they go into the Holy of Holies. What's What's embroidered on that veil? Angels, just like we read about, cherubim. In Revelation five, just connect, make these connections as we keep going. But I am going to keep telling this story. So you have to, you have to pick out a lamb, and it kind of hits you for the first time. Sin is serious. <laughs> We're packing up all this food. We're picking out one of our best lambs. Maybe you are, maybe you are not that well off. Maybe that's a significant portion. Maybe that's a tenth of your flock I, I'm not sure let's imagine that it is and you realize wow this is serious sin is serious we're going all the way up to Jerusalem we're packing all this food and we have to pick out this spotless lamb the best of our lambs and it's going to have to die for my sin sin is serious it's costly it costs something and so, I'm sure you're thinking about this as you walk up to Jerusalem. Maybe it's a two, three-day walk. And you have that feeling of guilt in your gut, you know, when you got caught. You know what I'm talking about? And you just, you just wish you never did what you did. But here you are. Maybe it's your dad. Let's just assume it's your dad going with you up to to Jerusalem. And maybe you say that. This is, this is costly. Why is this so costly? This is a lot of work. This is valuable. Something valuable we're sacrificing here. Is it? Why does God want us to do this? Let's imagine your dad quotes you from Leviticus. If his offering is a sacrifice, of peace offering. If he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, it, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. It's got to be without blemish because it's before God. God is holy. Remember what it says. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's son, the priest, shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar. It has to be a perfect sacrifice. It shows that the perfect lamb is dying in our place because we're imperfect. The perfect taking the place of the imperfect. Okay, so you go up. You finally get to Jerusalem. You're in the temple. And you're waiting your turn. You've got your little lamb there. Maybe it's ropes tied around its neck and like a little leash or something, or maybe you're carrying it in your arms, and you are waiting for your turn. And you finally, you see people ahead of you, you finally get up there, and there's the priest. And it's time to sacrifice this lamb. And your father says, Now put your hand on the head of the lamb and confess your sins. Can't the priest do that for me, maybe you ask? Maybe the priest steps in and he says, He leans down and he says, Your sin is personal between you and God. It's the one who sinned who places the hand on the head of the lamb. Don't you remember that when I sin as a priest, I am the one who lays my hand on the head of the lamb? Remember, it says, If it is the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, he shall offer for that sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering, and he shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord and lay his hand on the head of the bull and kill the bull before the Lord. And the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull and bring it to the tent of meeting. You see, if I sin, I lay my hand on the head of the bull or the lamb and I offer it. But I did not sin this time. You sinned. Remember what it says? It says, He shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar. It's you to lay your hand on the head of the lamb and it's me to throw the blood Against the altar, and it begins to sink in. You feel the personal responsibility, and the consequences, and the weight of sin. This is a serious thing. And it's maybe what you say to the priest is. I didn't mean to do it. it. It just came out. Maybe I said something I shouldn't have said, or I took a swing at that without thinking. Surely we don't. Maybe we don't have to do this if I just. I really didn't mean it maybe you're still talking to the priest and he says, remember, it says, if any one of the common people sins unintentionally in doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done and realizes his guilt or the sin which he has committed and it's made known to him, he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without blemish for the sin which he had committed and he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill the sin offering at the place of the burnt offering. Even if you didn't mean it, even if you did it out of anger and you did, you wish you could take it back, even unintentional sins you need to sacrifice. And so you put your hand on the head of the lamb, and I'm sure there's tears rolling down your face, and you have to cut, cut that lamb, and blood, blood spills out, vivid red blood. You remember, God didn't have God made the world; He could have made blood brown or green like grass but it's a color that we hardly ever see and it's vivid and it's striking and shocking and it spills out and the priest takes some of the blood there's probably blood on your clothes splatters of blood and there's definitely stains on the priest's clothes and there's blood all around there's stains on the altar and he throws it think about this Think about how striking this would be as a child. Would you remember this? Of course. <laughs> this would be very, very, I mean, you could, you, I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but it would be a core memory. You know, when you think of your childhood, there's things that just, they come to your mind so clear and so vivid. This is a big deal. And why? Why did God make it this way? I mean, think about all the things that that in this imaginary story we realize, you know, that this picture of sin. Sin has a lasting effect. Maybe your father said something to you "This that lamb died and it's not. It's dead. It's permanent. Sin has a permanent effect. Sin has a lasting effect. See the stains on your clothes? Sin is like that. Sin stains. Sin is destructive. The Sin we commit hurts people. It destroys things. Lies destroy trust. Sins destroy relationships. Sins destroy people. And sins deserve punishment. Sin is very destructive. And I want you to know that. That it seems like not a big deal to make fun of a kid or to bully a kid or something or like that. But it is. It hurts. And That fact affects your soul and it affects that person for the long term. It's destructive. And so God made it to where you see the destructive effect of sin. You see the lamb die. You see something good be destroyed because that's what sin does. And it's costly. It's costly to take a lamb. But you know what's even more costly? Your relationship with God. That there's a costly sacrifice and yet... It's there. God made a way for you to restore that relationship with God that's being broken by your sin. Sin is painful. Sin is painful. God is showing you how, hurt, how hurtful and how painful sin is to God, but also to people, to you. Maybe your dad on your way up to Jerusalem talked to you about Cain and Abel. One of the second story about sin in the Bible, Cain and Abel. And when Cain killed his brother, who did that hurt? Well, that hurt a lot of people, right? Think about just Adam and Eve, how costly, how painful that the secondary effects of that sin was. Their son died. They lost their son. And then their other son's punished and driven out. They, they lose both their sons to one sin. A family is destroyed, trust is destroyed, a son is destroyed, and another son has gone. And though not all our sins are like that, all our sins are painful and costly. And what about personal nature of sin? Each one of us will stand before God for our own sin. Just like they had to put their hand on the lamb and they had to confess their sin. It's personal. It's between us and God. Yes, there was this sacrifice of the lamb for the whole people, but there was also the personal nature that each person had to put their hand on, on the lamb for their sin. So that kind of wraps up that. Hopefully that kept your interest rather than me just reading the verses and giving facts. But now it's connected to Revelation. Okay? All that was a picture of what happened in Revelation. You see the real lamb, Jesus, who was slain. You see not just embroidered angels, real angels. You see not just the Holy of Holies, which was a symbol of God's presence. You see God's actual heavenly throne. And in between the throne and us is the slain lamb, just exactly the same as here. Except, you know, it's intensified. This whole picture, all the same things. And yet, higher stakes. That if, if you would have felt pain seeing that, that lamb, that innocent lamb die, how much more Jesus, the Lamb of God, Right? If, it's, if you're sad about the destructive nature of sin as that seeing the dead lamb, how much more Jesus? How much more painful? How much more costly? And yet, the personal weight, it's not just the lamb, it's actually God himself who became a man to die for us. Why talk about all this? We've got to understand what sin is, the nature of sin, the costly nature of sin, how it separates us from God, if we're going to worship like they do at the end of this chapter. Why are they worshiping? Because they see that the lamb has ransomed a people, that the lamb made a way to bring us back to God, that the lamb ultimately is going to conquer evil. He's the Lion of Judah. Here's our conqueror. How did he conquer? He conquered through his death on the cross. And he brought ransom to people for God from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. He made us a kingdom of priests so that we might reign on the earth. We have to understand all these things. We have to understand the personal nature of sin, the costliness of sin, the destructive nature of sin, the lasting effects of sin to really begin to fully worship Jesus for who he is. If we really understand that our sin separate us from God, we can begin to praise Him for rans- ransoming us and restoring that relationship. If we really understand that we were slaves to our sin, we couldn't have ransomed ourselves, that we were stuck, then we can begin to praise Him for freeing us. If we really understand the seriousness of sin and the costliness of sin, then we can appreciate forgiveness. If we really understand the pain and that the blood washes us it's a painful costly washing the more thankful we see the destructiveness of sin and we can be thankful that god takes sin seriously it would be no it would not be a good god who saw cain kill abel and say that's okay no big deal that's not a good god god takes sin seriously Think about Luke 7.47. It's, it's the story about the prostitute that comes to Jesus and walks, washes his feet with her hair. Remember what Jesus says? Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. If we have a small view of God and the seriousness of sin is little in our eyes, we're going to love little. That's what it said. Here's the, Here's the... Pharisees who were sitting across from Jesus thinking they had no, no, no big sin on their account. And they don't love him. They're not thankful for him. And here comes this prostitute who's wiping his feet with her tears and her hair. And what does he say? She realizes how much she's been forgiven. That's why she loves me so much. And so, as we read this section on the slain lamb, all this understanding of sin from the Old Testament is underneath it. The seriousness of sin, the costliness of sin, the painfulness of sin, the destructiveness of sin, that sin separates us from God. And if we don't understand that, we're not going to be able to worship in the same way. And we're not really going to be able to understand Revelation, the whole book. I mean, we really have to have this understanding of sin to appreciate forgiveness, appreciate what Christ did for us. And really to sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Aren't we thankful? Again, we we talked about how worship is not the invention of nice things to say about God. It's the recognition of who God is already. So when we give glory and thanks, we're not making something up. We're not adding power to God. It's not saying we give God more power. What it's saying is we're recognizing his power and we're praising him for it. Aren't we thankful? Why is the lamb worthy to receive these, the praise? Think about the power that it took to ransom every, everyone who trusts in Christ. All sin that we ever committed. That when we, when we trust Christ, he really died for that. Almighty God who had all this power, what did he do? He used his power to die for us. That's an amazing thing. I've used this illustration before, but imagine there's a judge who decides every time he, somehow, maybe it's, who I don't know how it works, but every time he has to hit the gavel and say guilty, to feel the weight of, of his decision he actually feels the punishment somehow he feels the execution he feels it and so do you think when he hits that gavel he he does it with a sense more sense of weightiness of course right to not only to be fully aware of the consequences and how they feel and what it means exactly to know it precisely that would be a, a good judge and that's what Jesus is, right? Whatever hell is, whatever the consequences for sin are, separation from God, Jesus felt that on the cross. He is the judge who has felt the punishment. But he didn't have to be. He could have been a distant God who never came down, who never walked in our shoes, who definitely who never died, and yet he chose to for us. Isn't he worthy to receive praise for his power? That's what an all-powerful God decides to do. That's what the Lion of Judah looks like, is a slain lamb on a cross. That's remarkable. And it's praiseworthy. You know, the word wealth here, he's worthy to receive power and wealth. The word wealth is just the word plenty. Plenty. (laughs) Abundance. Like the idea of the whole earth is the Lord's. Think about how, how have we done as human beings control what little control we have over the earth. Isn't Christ, isn't this slain lamb worthy <laughs> to receive plenty, to receive control of everything? Absolutely. He's the one who redeemed it. He's worthy to reign. We want Him. We want Him to reign. Wisdom. He's worthy to receive wisdom. He's already all wise, but we're talking about praising Him for His wisdom. How is it possible for God both to take sin seriously and clear the guilty? To hate sin and yet forgive sinners and love them. The cross. I, not something we would have thought of. The wisdom of God. Something we never would imagine. This slain lamb for us. Worthy to receive power and plenty and wisdom and honor. I mean, we honor athletes for their great achievements, right? They get literal crowns. Uh, at this time, at Rome. And yet, there's nothing in all of history that can be compared to Christ's death in terms of achievement. Even even from a secular perspective, people, historians that aren't Christians, that don't appreciate what Jesus actually purchased in terms of spiritually, that he w- washed us by his blood, Even, even from a secular perspective, they're saying that Jesus' death was... Jesus' death on the cross and his life was one of the most significant events in history that changed the trajectory of the world. That's amazing. But we know it's more than that, not just a historical, great historical event that affected history to today. It's more than that, although it is that. It's a spiritual victory over death and sin that started on the cross but goes on into eternity. We can thank him. Let's honor him for what he's done for us. I mean think about it this way how strange would it be if you went out to the field as that little child to pick up pick a lamb and somehow a lamb came up like into your arms and and maybe maybe it's like when God made the donkey talk and you said you know I've got to sacrifice one of the lambs you don't want to be the one and maybe God opened the lamb's mouth and it says I do I'll do it for you That would be crazy. (laughs) That would be shocking. But that's what Jesus did. That's what really happened. Much more than just a little lamb, but Jesus, God himself. And these last two, glory and blessing, he's worthy to receive glory and blessing. You know, the word blessing is just, it's in Greek, it's two words smushed together, good word. So it's just a good word. You're saying good things. You're praising. It's similar to the word praise. Why is Jesus worthy to receive glory and blessing? Well, just all these things we talked about. He's a glorious God who loves us, and seeing who he is makes us want to praise him. How does this apply to our life? Well, there's several ways. Worship is one that we just talked about. We should worship Christ for what he's done. We need to understand sin. We need to understand that sin is against God. It's not just that we hurt others, but that actually God himself, we're sinning against him. Reminds me of uh, Luke six forty six. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? At any time we sin, what we're saying to God is, God, I don't want you to run my life. I don't want you to be in control. I want to be in control. I want to do what I want. And in that way, every sin is a rebellion against the actual Lord of the universe. That it is before God and against God. Any effect of sin ultimately runs back to God. Who does the whole world belong to? Who's the one that each and every person we've ever sinned against? Who's the one that made them? God. We're destroying his creation, we're hurting his creation. It's God who's in control, and God, who we should be giving our allegiance to, but we're not, and it's God who's made these good things, and we're destroying them with our sin. Whether that's relationships, it could be spiritual things that are being destroyed, um, but also physical things. And the reality is that every sin is before God. Then we can see the amazingness that it's God himself who comes and wants to restore that relationship. All this is to say, when we see the slain lamb there, there's a meaning there. There's an understanding of sin, of the seriousness, of the separation from God, of who God is. And then as a result of that, we give our allegiance and honor to God. And we ask for forgiveness. And maybe the most important way we can apply this is, just the same way they had to put their hand on the head of the lamb and confess their sins, every single one of us needs to do that to Jesus. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And spiritually, we need to see His death on the cross and put our hand on His head and saying, it's me, it's my sins you're dying for. And really believe that. And really trust that. And really know that that blood is what sprinkles us clean and sprinkles the altar that makes our worship acceptable and sprinkles the veil that there is a reason we can go through is because of Jesus. And it's a personal thing for each one of us. Yes, Jesus died corporately for anyone who would come to him. It's a corporate thing. He's the, he's the day of atonement. He's the sacrifice on the day of atonement. But he's also the lamb that sacrificed individually for each one of us. And so I guess I could say, if you're not a Christian, this is what you need. I mean, you need to put your hand on the head of the lamb and, and confess your sins and realize the seriousness of sin, but the goodness of God for making a way. If you're if you already are a Christian, just to remember and to worship, wow. Just to feel the feeling again like I'm so sorry God that you had to die for my sins. It's not fair. It shouldn't be this way, but I'm thankful that you did it for me. That it's it's fundamentally unjust <laughs> that Jesus died for my sins and it's wrong. And yet I'm thankful. I'm th- if I could, I wish it was the opposite. I wish I didn't. I wish I could take it all back and not sin and not have him have to die. But he did, and I did. And so I can say, I'm sorry, but thank you. And see in him my forgiveness, and my salvation, and therefore worship. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful that you sent your son to die, Jesus. We're thankful that you were willing to die and that there is a way. I pray that we would really have an understanding of sin, of your holiness, of the serious nature of sin, the lasting effects. Um have mercy. Have mercy on us. Thank you so much for making a way for us to come to you. We truly are sad just thinking about that it was our sin that you had to die for. And yet we're thankful. We're thankful that there's a way that we can our relationship can be restored. So we love you. You deserve all power and wealth and might and wisdom and honor and glory. And we just praise you for who you are. And we thank you. And we do pray for our kids and for anyone who doesn't know you, just that they would come to really see the goodness, your goodness, and your love towards us and really trust you. We ask all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.